Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, the Danimal. How's it going, Matty? All right, Danimal. I'm going to start this segment off right now by doing my best Mike Greenberg impression to tell you why Becky Lynch winning back her WWE Women's Championship from Bianca Belair is the most significant watershed moment of women's wrestling in recent memory. Wow. How'd I do? Not bad? That was good. That was, that was great. Yeah. Thanks. I think you got me teasing. Now you just need to go like... Now we need to actually have an ad yeah, to cut to a commercial break because you have to do the teaser. But uh, no, that, that's pretty much the inspiration is there are so many shitty hot take shows. Maelstrom originated from concepts we saw in things like sports commentary on ESPN. And it got me thinking, like, why not do a round of unpopular opinions? And that's the one I wanted to lead off with before you could steal it from me. I truly believe that Becky Lynch Stealing the title from Bianca Belair within 20 seconds at SummerSlam actually is one of the most significant moments in women's wrestling in recent memory. And the reason I'm going to tell you why is because with that division growing substantially within the past few years and becoming a legitimate thing and genuinely entertaining for all the right reasons, it is incredibly important to be able to say that if you choose to walk away to grow a family, that you should not be punished and have your booking affected as a result. So in many ways, this is that old lie that you would hear forever in sports, which is, oh, you don't lose your position to injury, which we all know isn't the case. It's, it's the Wally Pip rule. That's what they call it now. You're getting Wally Pipped. And that's, that's a phenomenal take that I have, in all my wrestling podcasts listening have not heard. So this is a, a huge tip of the cap to you, Maddie. Well, thank you. And, and to be fair, you know, like some of this was probably, you know, spurred on by the fact that clearly there was an issue with Sasha Banks that made it so that match probably couldn't go on. But this, I think, clearly shows that Stephanie McMahon is actually behind the scenes really like, controlling how that division is playing out now, particularly in WWE. And for the purpose of clarity, we're going to focus on WWE for this particular episode, just so uh, we're not bouncing all over the place with these opinions. But um, but yeah, that that's my big one to lead off with, is that I truly believe that that was a decision that 100% is sending the message to every woman in that locker room that, hey, if you do decide that you want to have a family, go ahead. Your job is secure. We're going to give you the opportunity to come back. And if you actually were going over with the crowd, we fully expect that to be exactly the same whenever you choose to come back. No, that's that's spectacular because I I think it also puts a different light on it in the sense that how are you supposed to bring her back when she's going to have a little bit of ring rust? You need to kind of let her her build. But if she's not really doing anything, it's hard to put her back in the spotlight. So I think. I think that's a really good call, and it, it does prove that, yeah, if you're at the top of your game, you don't have to do some, oh, I'm going to put off this, you know, monumental event in my life until my, you know, until my, my heat goes down, you know, because then it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, do you, do you tank? It's like, okay, I've been on top of the card for, holy shit, a year and a half. 
but I've put off this dream of mine for a year and a half. So no, I, I think that's a, a great call, especially with, you know, Stephanie having been able to have her family without fear of losing her role within the company being in a more traditional spot. So no, I, I really like that. Um, I'm going to kind of kind of jump onto that with the unpopular opinion that despite all the talent and uh, quality in the way that they've booked and framed their women's matches, WWE still doesn't really know how to make it a deep division. And, and that's more on the storyline front um, because I, I really was, I was pleased when Nikki A.S.H., you know, almost a superhero wins money in the bank, beat Charlotte, you know, she's this plucky, awesome gal. And then what do they do? They take the title off of her in, I don't know, a month and they give it right back to Charlotte. And I'll be the first to say that I think Charlotte is one of, you know, the best wrestlers in the world, period. You know, you can take gender out of it, all that. She's phenomenal. But it just feels like they don't know how to do, like, she would be the perfect person to be the secondary feud. Because they always kind of talk about certain characters are so big. You know, you got your Brocks or like, you know, Bray Wyatt when he was still around. And they could just carry a whole storyline where he didn't need the belt. They were just so much larger than life that, you know, you could take that mid-tier talent and build them up. But instead of doing that, it was just like, okay, Charlotte's got the title again. So now, you know, looks like we might have an Alexa storyline coming up. And then that gives Alexa something to do. But everyone else, it's kind of like, okay, you know, maybe their tag match won't get 90 seconds like they used to. But I, I just feel like the storytelling has really been lacking. I mean, you know, the 10-team division is still really weird and pretty disjointed, you know, we'll talk, we'll bring her up later, but, you know, formerly Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan were one of the only legit, like, tag team, tag teams they had, and yet we always lament it, you know, goofy, oddball pairing of former enemies turned tensioned tag team somehow managed to beat them every time. So I, I, I think that as much as there's the talent and it's getting, you know, good spots on the card, they're still not really given the proper time to develop that division for a real storyline that's compelling. That's a great take, particularly because of a theory that you've thrown out multiple times now in our recordings where um, that they're essentially trying to mimic the career arcs of Ric Flair through Charlotte by just kind of having her accumulate the title so many times that that's her image is just like this, this, you know, countless winner of the women's division title. And I think that that is also a symptom of the WWE where it's at now. Like for all intents and purposes, it's achieved the ultimate goal, which is it's a finally reached a level where it's a hundred percent financially viable forever. You know, it's a billion dollar organization with billion dollar TV deals. They're going to guarantee they'll forever be in circulation in some form. And one of the ways they were able to do that a huge way, actually, was by creating these viable, huge commercial stars. And I think that that's sometimes where they get a little cloudened or a bit ahead of themselves, where they view somebody like a Charlotte and they say, how are we going to turn her into a TV star or a movie star or make her bigger and better than beyond just the women's champ? And I think that sometimes in trying to market it that way, you tend have a tendency to overlook the harm you're doing to the rest of the division and to be fair it is so much of their talent is very very young in that division as well that kind of also goes back to where i don't think it's the worst thing that 
Bianca Belair got squashed because she's so young. She, she can be around for a very long time and is already substantially better than a huge number of athletes in both men's and women's wrestling. So I think there's some of that at play too, where it's like, how are we going to build up this resume? How can we make this character larger than life to a degree that, you know, you can essentially try to recreate some of the success of the male counterparts over the years. So interesting take. And I really appreciate it because it's, it's well thought out. Uh, let's go for a shittier one from my end. Then I believe within the next two to three years, Karrion Cross is going to hold a major title in WWE. And I say this, Ooh, okay. I say this in light of the fact that he's essentially doing the modern day shock master routine right now. Like not only was his debut absolutely bungled in a loss to Jeff Hardy of all people who, from what I understand, may just be flat out cut with any day now. And now they got him wearing a stupid helmet to the ring, despite, as you've explained to me multiple times, his NXT entrance being like one of the most intimidating things going in that entire division. So I think what's really at play right now is they know they have a strong talent in this guy and they're doing what you used to be able to do in the bars or behind the scenes and they're hazing him, like, and they're hazing him through their storylines. They're saying like, look, you're going to be huge, but you need to prove to us that we can make you look really fucking stupid right now, because if you can't take a joke now, you certainly aren't once we give you the title. You know, I, I love that take for a lot of reasons, um, because I think that it's also almost like a lowering crowd expectations that I think for so long there was this issue that people would come in from NXT and you would try to just kind of bring them in and expect the main crowd to know who they were and take them on with such kind of reverence. And I know one thing I kind of heard when Cross has been brought up is that in NXT, he was such a monster. He's still a monster on the main card, but it's not quite the same trying to throw around, you know, I guess the, the best guy to say is always Randy Orton. You know, he's going to get next to Randy and they're going to look like two guys that can have a fight. It's not like picking on, you know, Finn Balor, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, who are, you know, I, hell, those guys make me look big. So I, I really like where your head's at, because I think that's also might be part of why they're holding on Scarlet. Because I think the idea of him kind of like outgrowing the gimmick a little bit and then all of a sudden you put the singing, gorgeous valet bringing him in for this grand entrance. And it'll feel a little bit more earned. So I, I really like that idea of, you know, prove prove you can get over with this goofy ass Lord Humongous outfit. And all of a sudden, you know, you can you can make it to the top legit. I mean, hell, you know, the the rock, it, you know, his debut wasn't exactly well received or well known. And he looked like a total goober. Like a lot of these top guys, you know, the ringmaster you know, Hunter <laughs> Hearst Helmsley, like a lot of the guys that have gotten over and been massive you know, started with shitty gimmicks. It wasn't until you got some of the more like Brock and Batista's that guys were getting to come in looking good. Instead, it was kind of, you worked your way up. So no, I think, I think that's a, well, it may be unpopular in the moment. I think it could look uh, pretty prophetic down the line. I think too, actually, because even Batista had that small run as the Deacon. So, but yeah, the, I, the donation box with the chain around. The yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's part of it, though, is like that he came up with such a strong gimmick 
while in the minor league, so to speak, of NXT, that I think that, you know, the upper management has seen that and understands it. It's like, you're probably going to be able to utilize this for a long time. So we're going to have to make you look really stupid early on otherwise, because it looks it makes us look bad if you just debut with this awesome character and just ride that out for years upon years. So at least this way we make it look like we're fucking it up along the way a bit. Well, I think otherwise you get into the classic if he's booked as, you know, the new giant unstoppable guy. The minute you lose that first match, your mystique is dead. So, you know, taking a little time to get to where you can, you know, I think like Sheamus is kind of a good example of someone who's been able to go up and down the card and you don't really fault him for it as opposed to some of the more like great Kali giant types that it's like, oh shit, Cena threw him off a car. What do we need? Oh, let's have him dance. So I, 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 I like where your head is at with that. So, all right. So I've got, I've got a, it's, I don't know how unpopular it is, but I know the crowd is really hating on the new Lucky Corbin. Uh, great, great heel gimmick. You got him with uh, one of the Paul brothers. I fortunately don't know which one. But my opinion is that bum-ass Corbin could have gone lower. I wanted to see him go even further into the gutter. I wanted the hair to get longer. I wanted people to make fun of it. I just feel like that gimmick, I wanted it to be like Theon and Game of Thrones, where it's so bad that I'm just like, all right, at first I was enjoying this, but now I want this guy to turn a little bit. Because him just hitting the jackpot, I felt like, was a little a little too soon for me. I would have liked to have seen him maybe like win it, and then we get the casino image of him with like all the chips, and somehow, you know, the dealer hits like the 14-card blackjack and bust them. So I, I feel like that while the, the heel gimmick is working, I think we could have teased it a little longer. I absolutely agree. And I'm still holding out hope that they're going to rip it away from him sooner rather than later. And it'll just be like top of the world for like up until the next pay-per-view and then back in the shitter. Cause I actually really liked the direction it was going to when he stole the money in the bank briefcase. And I was hoping that would just be a recurring thing. Like then next time he'd be chasing after the 24 seven title. Next time he'd be trying to steal like various items or whatever to pawn or like, I really liked the direction it went. The 24 the seven title in the pawn shops feels like a really good one. Kind of like, uh, I think we brought up once before, like poor Wiggum selling his gun handle to, uh, make some money in the Simpsons yeah or I think the other thing is I also don't think they did enough with the gimmick of him asking for help but it was like an obscene amount he's like I'm just struggling man they're like what do you need it's like hundred thousand dollars like I would have loved to have seen or if it was just continued or it was like MTV Cribs and we see that he's like living somewhere really nice but he's lamenting his like sheet thread count but it's just like well this place is pretty nice he's like it's only got a partially blocked view and like just then becoming like the rich guy that you know doesn't realize how people actually live so yeah I I felt like uh even though his man getting hit by football moment was great I he could have gotten hit in the groin for another week or two at least (laughs) oh I love it I that character actually like I went from caring so little for King Corbin to actually thinking that he was genius in every segment. So definitely appreciate any time he's brought up. I got another one for you here and bear with me because there's a number of different directions we can go with it, but oh boy, 
<laughs> it's it's not nearly as controversial as it sounds, but I believe that the WWE right now is about to make a huge splash in the next year with all the money that they have now retained by cutting loose some of this talent. I believe that there's been this huge concern that it's a dying beast and that, you know, they're losing out everything and it's the modern day Monday night wars. But I really think that they sense that there's a new future in professional wrestling. Now that there's so many generations of people growing up and who have dreamed of doing this their entire life. And I truly think that you're going to start seeing a lot more former professional athletes sign to lucrative contracts. Uh, and by that, I mean, like, actually not like your Rick Boogs, like former college wrestler type athletes or even Olympians, like the guy who's hanging out with um, was Otis. What's his name? Oh, well, that was uh, that was Chad Gable. And then on top of that, uh, Gable Stevenson. Uh, just confirmed to have signed yeah the uh, recent backflipping Olympian so yeah so what I'm saying is like I predict you're gonna see like some fringe like college superstar football players and or maybe a few washout like top like prospect like basketball like high-end athletes beyond just like somebody who had like a cup of tea here or there that you milk like a Steve Mongo McMichael type, like, you know, I, I find that fascinating because I, I certainly agree because one thing that I, and I think I can, I can lump it in here is that the um, rumors of WWE's demise have been greatly exaggerated. Um, I, I think that the idea that they were going to be blindsided by this, that, you know, is, you know, the punk rumors have been going on forever that Daniel Bryan is, you know, getting his release that, you know, they, they've seen all this coming. It wasn't like a shocker that this company that has been signing the greatest pure wrestling talent in the world was going to finally do a showcase that was, you know, groundbreaking. And I, I've been curious to see where they're going to go as well, because that's that's exactly where I was leaning. That like they're they're not doing this with some, you know, oh, you know, we got Roman and Brock's going to come back and that'll carry us because they remember the Monday night wars. And it was like, what won the Monday night wars? It was like incredible character development, pushing the envelope in the ring. So I, I think that they do have, do have something up their sleeve. So I, I see what you're saying that bringing in a couple people that, you know, can really move the needle kind of in the way the bad bunny did. I mean, I think that's something that we, you know, we don't really get enough, or give enough credit for that, you know, when you look at the social media presence, I would guarantee Bad Bunny had more followers than all the wrestlers in WWE and AEW combined. And, you know, what do they do? They let the guy, you know, let the guy come down to the performance center. I'm sure that there were a lot of, you know, incentives and all the training that cost money. And, you know, they were probably putting him up or something. And all of a sudden you get massive crossover appeal. So <clears throat> I think you're right that they're, they're getting the bag deep and they're figuring out ways to really get eyeballs. Cause you know, yeah, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk come back. That'll get a, a blurb on the old uh, ESPN ticker. But I think you're, what you're getting at is, I think it could be right that you're going to see, you know, matches and interviews and look who's 
training to be a professional wrestler, follow his story, follow his training and, you know, bring it over to those mainstream fans. So no, I think, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty, pretty, I think unpopular, especially within, you know, the AEW community, which we are certainly members, but yeah, I think that the belief that the greatest wrestling booker and then the protégés who are under him would just be sitting here with like a, you know, we've got John Cena. Nah, they're, they're too good for that. I'm so glad you brought up Bad Bunny because that that was honestly what really inspired this thought was it was a combination of that. And then you and I also um, had discussed, um, I believe it was Ava, Ava um, it was Ava Marie. Oh, Ava Marie. Yeah. The fact that, you know, why, why did she come back and why is she getting this big push? And my theory then was that it's a hundred percent. They were paying for her social media following it. They don't care about her in-ring ability. They like the fact that when you sign her, that's 4 million Twitter and Instagram followers that you instantly attain um, versus what you're seeing with AEW where they're building it organically. Like, you know, it's, they got a bunch of young guys who are tweeting furiously and trying to go viral with every single move and every single match. But that's a lot of effort when you're a billion dollar company. You know, you can afford yeah. to just step in and pay for it. And that was, it's that combined with what's going on with college sports now, where, you know, all of a sudden these athletes can actually get paid for their likeness and their social pre- media presence. And you're seeing like all these, you know, people who would probably be marginally known na- nationally uh, for whatever they have accomplished as athletes, which, you know, is more than I can say for myself, certainly. But now it's like, no, it's like, it's a big fucking deal if you're the quarterback of Alabama. It's a big fucking deal if you're a basketball player for women's Stanford, you know, team basketball. Um, so all of these athletes now are going to have so many more eyes on them just by by virtue of simply controlling these social media accounts. And I think that that's kind of the direction WWE is going to look. It's going to say like, okay, like, Take a, a perfect example would be, and he would never sign a million years, but think of the cult of personality that Tim Tebow had, you know, oh, when yeah. he came out of college and you look at how his career progressed and it's like, he's still to just, you know, only a few months ago was fighting to still maintain his status as a professional athlete. And it's like, you know, that's what wrestling has always been for, or those guys where it's like, look, you command a presence you just don't quite have what it takes to do this sport professionally. So why don't we steer you in this other direction, use that presence as a strength and help you build a brand. So I really think that what you're going to see is like with a lot of these got these athletes who, like I said, build up, make a ton of money in college and don't necessarily need to do all the work that's it was required to make it in the pro level. Maybe they're instead going to take a different approach and actually just kind of, you know, maybe they, they play out their rookie contract and if they're going to get cut, well, hell, I'm going to take my talents here and see what I can do here. No, I think I think that's a great call. And the fact that, uh, you know, with your, your NIL name, image, likeness, uh, Gable Stevenson announced back to back that he had signed a contract with WWE. So everyone, including myself, was like, OK, see in Tampa, buddy. Next tweet from him at uh, Minnesota Gophers wrestling, I'm back. So I think there's even an idea of using it almost as a farm system. Cause you know, one guy that kind of comes to mind for me is the Mitz, who was someone that wasn't actually getting training, but he's like so 
into the idea of being a wrestler that he's practicing like his mic skills, which are one of the toughest things to actually, you know, have to really become a star. And especially with WWE kind of having this goal of being like the next, you know, Marvel, Disney, our people are not just, you know, wrestlers, they're entertainers. I think the concept of like, all right, hey man, yeah, you know, you're this crazy, you know, five, 10 receiver that's probably not big enough to make it but you know you can run fast you can do the back flips you got the crazy jumping ability and you can lift in your spare time you know we'll have you call the fucking dialogue coach and run over some lines and get comfortable with the mic in your hand and then like you said you know after the the training camp or two they got three years of practicing promos even lately under their belt and now you're late years ahead so i uh no i think i think you're right that they could be using uh using the ability to kind of almost put like a, a reserve clause on people like, Hey, you know, go ahead and try it out for your league. But if it doesn't work, you know, you've got this wrestling thing to fall back on. hundred percent. And that's brilliant backstory that I wasn't even aware of. So I, I appreciate you strengthening my argument here. And uh, yeah, I, I really think that that's kind of the future, especially going back to the bad bunny thing. One more time, you saw how they now can train a guy who, you know, look, he, he's got he's clearly more athletic than I gave him credit for based on how that match progressed. But to actually be able to do all that with not putting in more than what a few months, maybe six months tops of like intense training for it and to put over a highly competent match. Um, there's a documentary I always reference with David Arquette where they took him from being a bloated 40 something and actually was putting on some pretty impressive matches in the L.A. Uh, cards for a while so i mean the trainers know what they're doing now it's no longer just the like can you throw a punch without knocking the guy out all right put him in there or in the case of the big show and floyd mayweather let's just we're gonna pay you big show to take the punch that's the only reason you're in the ring right now no i think i think you're entirely right and i think you know continuing this trend of they you know, I think it could also bring enhancement talent to an all new level for them because, you know, that's a huge part of what made the Bad Bunny thing so good was that, you know, John Morrison was kind of the star of that because that guy's so athletic that, you know, when it came time to do the, the Canadian Destroyer, he's the guy that's able to, you know, basically do the flip that Bad Bunny's just holding on to and sell the shit out of the move. So I think they're going to continue to know that, you know, if this is our end goal, that we'll hold on to certain talent, you know, I think, you know, the two guys you were talking about, uh, whatever their name was, Alpha Academy Elite or whatever. But, you know, the, those are just two former amateur wrestlers that, you know, you get them in the ring with anyone, they'll make them look like a million bucks. So, no, I think I think that's a I think that's a pretty spectacular, unpopular opinion. I, I like that one a lot. All right. You got one for us there, Danimal. Yeah, this is one. I don't know how much you've been watching it, um, any of the li- the actual product, but they've been, and I don't know if this is unpopular, or maybe it's just unpopular to the people at WWE, but have you been seeing these augmented reality things they do and people are like entering? Yes. It's really <laughs> fucking weird. And it's, I, I, I went, uh, I was going furiously uh, tweeting, I think, during SummerSlam from the Hollywood Burnett account, follow us, um, was it reminded me of like the Rock and the Scorpion King when they have like Romans and it's just like this really shitty, like kind of looks like him, 
but they just want to show this giant man like standing 40 feet tall and so it just you know they have one for randy orton but it's another one or i actually the, the riddle one is like the worst where he kicks off his sandals and it looks like birds are flying out of his feet and his ass like and yeah I, I it's one of these things where it's like i i would hope that someone in the room because I mean, hell, Triple H is in the room would just be like, yeah, this isn't, I don't think this is going as well as anyone thinks it is. But yeah, that's one that I've really wanted to mention on the podcast because it's it's just such an odd, unnecessary thing that I feel like also must just be, you know, weird if you're like in the stadium. So yeah, uh, that's that's an unpopular one for me. I'm glad you brought that one up because on the most recent episode of uh, Botchamania, they actually did one with the Roman figure where they uh they put homer simpson weighs the golden god the voiceover especially which is perfectly does the lean back and just like when homer starts laughing so uh gave me a great chuckle always does so yeah i totally agree every time i see it i'm like this is so stupid like i thought this was just a thing they were doing when they didn't have live crowds but apparently no it's it's a full-on thing all right, I think I'm about yeah. personally tapped out for WWE. I don't know if you have any other unpopular opinions on that. No, I, I think that's good. The one thing I, I wanted to touch on and ask if you if you've been able to see it on YouTube or anything, because I still think it was one of the coolest wrestling things I've seen in the last month or so. Did you see the Edge double entrance at SummerSlam? I watched that only because you told me about, it, and that was awesome. And it was actually, I watched it in the best way because it was a fan made. It was somebody who was in like the third row who did it. And so you could hear him the whole time, just like freaking out and loved every second of it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't go without mentioning that because I still think it was one of the coolest ideas. I've. And it, they executed it perfectly, which once again, it just screamed something that could have been so easily fucked up. But they like touched on the brood thing. And then he comes up with what was legitimately for such kind of like a kind of goofy faction, which somehow spawned two massively successful talented Hall of Famers. It really does look awesome. So, yeah, you have him come out of the fire with super cool, moody music, and then it cuts into his like super high energy. And yeah, I was just absolutely blown away by the creativity. So, you know what I really like about that too? And it, kind of touches on the theme of this episode we just are wrapping up here is that speaks to how awesome it is when wwe kind of takes a cue from some of the amazing things that aew has been doing and saying like wow people are really responding to all these callbacks to all these accomplishments these guys have done over the years like maybe back before even the generation watching it cared so how can we bring it back seeing as how we own the rights to all this shit and still can <laughs> yeah. implement the pyro and you know so that was awesome it was like holy shit they actually acknowledged something that happened in the past you know i'm so accustomed to the uh, ever moving forward era of you know may young giving birth to a hand and we never discuss it again so um yeah, it was it was a pretty cool callback particularly to something that was such an iconic entrance for so many years all right. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for indulging me. I just had to make sure that we had a moment to gush over that because it did manage to get a dollar twenty nine out of my bank account to buy the brood entrance song for my phone. <laughs> right on. I love it. Perfect timing. We got a new Matrix movie coming out. We got the brood 
entrance music is at back in circulation. Yeah, we we've officially entered that age where they're marketing our youth back to us again. Yeah, God bless the late nineties. <laughs> all right. Well, with all that being said, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. Mm-hmm.